It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi everyone, my name is Rahul Yates and I'm the founder of Humps of Global Team, a platform that builds a community and raises awareness for multiracial and multicultural youth, as well as the host of Mixed by Gen Z, a podcast dedicated to covering um, topics related to identity and uh, mixed race identity from a Gen Z mixed race perspective. And today I'm very excited to be interviewing the co-hosts of the series Mixed, featuring stories of mixed race Californians. Uh, Marisa Lagos and Sasha Coca. It's on the California Report magazine, which airs on public radio stations across California. So thank you both for being here. If um, you could start by introducing yourself as much as you'd like to, including uh, your name, a racial slash ethnic background, where you grew up and what you currently do, yeah. etc. All right, I'll go first because I'm chatty. Mm. I'm Marisa Lagos. <laughs> um, I grew up in San Diego and I would say identify now as mixed. Uh, growing up, I probably would have given you percentages, but um, mm -hmm. my background is Mexican, Armenian, and white. Um, and I've been a journalist basically since college. I worked at my college newspaper in Santa Barbara. And uh, for me, this series is a little bit of a departure. I usually cover politics, um, state, some federal and uh, a lot of local in my past. So this is kind of a passion project for me um, that I was lucky enough to start doing with Sasha after we actually started kind of doing some reporting when Kamala Harris was elected and thinking about this issue. And that yeah. is the genesis. Yeah. Hi, Rahul. It's so great to be on your show. Mm -hmm. We are excited to announce that you're going to be on our series, too. <laughs> I'm looking um, forward to it. Which is super fun. Um, my name is Sasha Koka, and I grew up in Los Angeles. I am Punjabi, Asian Indian, and Irish American, and uh, really have claimed a mixed race identity, I would say, pretty strongly since I was a teenager. 
um, but didn't really have community, didn't know other folks like me, which is why it's so exciting to meet you, Rahul, and um, you know, to know that there are other South Asian mixed race people elevating our experience because it is still pretty rare for people to mm -hmm. uh, marry outside of the South Asian community. So I'm super psyched. And our project has been really fun to work on. Marisa and I have been talking to artists and writers and educators and people who come at this issue from all different life experiences and walks of life. Perfect. Well, thank you both for being here. And um, now we'll dive right into the first question, which is if you could talk about growing up mixed and uh, reflect upon that experience. For example, Marisa, you said that uh, when, when you were younger, you went, may have answered the what are you question in percentages. And uh, Sasha, you said that uh, it, it talked about generally um, feeling isolated because there's very few uh, multiracial South Asian families. So uh, yeah, please go ahead and, and talk about that. I, I can start. I mean, I would say when I was growing up, there were very few families like ours. Um, my dad came to the U.S. from India in the early 1960s, met my mom at Purdue in Indiana, who was like a rebellious Irish Catholic from Massachusetts. Um, and they actually moved to California because they wanted to be somewhere where they could have a mixed race relationship. I mean, interracial marriage was actually illegal in many states at that point. And um, my parents, you know, I always grew up feeling like I was very much a part of both of my backgrounds. I was very loved by both sides of my family, very close to my grandparents in India. And my father had three siblings who came to the L.A. area uh, or two siblings who came to the LA area and one who came to another part of the US. So I grew up around aunts and uncles, um, extended family. And then my mom's side of the family was very large. Both my parents have a lot of siblings. So I felt like I was really a part of um, both families and communities. Um, but we didn't talk about race in my family. And that's actually something that's come up in a lot of the interviews we've done for our series too. Parents don't really talk about race with their mixed race kids as much as they should be doing. Um, we talked about culture. We talked about, um, you know, being a part of different communities and celebrating different holidays. In my family, my mom was raised Catholic, so it was like Christmas and Diwali, Holy and Easter. Mm -hmm. um, and and we did it all, you know, but it was not, we never talked about it in terms of multiracial identity. And for me, that transformation really happened when I was 15 or 16. And I went to this camp in the San Bernardino Mountains outside of LA. It was called Brotherhood Sisterhood. And when we got there, they put us all in different groups according to our racial or ethnic backgrounds. It was a camp to talk about race and prejudice and sexism and other isms. And it was life-changing for me because I got put in a group with other mixed kids and I felt like I finally had come home and finally found my people. Wow. Yeah. So it's funny, as you were talking, I was thinking about my mom actually went to a, a camp that was all about sort of racism, but also just like bigger societal like uh, chasms. And it was called Camp Anytown. And I remember she came home from that because she was an educator at the time. And it was like the police chief in San Diego was there it was like this really interesting mix of people and kind of had an experience like you did, Sasha. But like it was even in that way, like it wasn't really to talk about our own experience. It was to talk about like society, right? So I mm -hmm. would say, um, you know, I grew up to parents 
who, I mean, my mom's Armenian heritage was very front and center because my great grandma who actually fled Armenia before the uh, genocide was still alive when I was a, a kid. So I grew up like with her culturally in the house, like we were rolling Sarma, we were making, um, you know, like a lot of the Armenian dishes. And so I had that connection just like within the home. On my Mexican side, my grandfather had grown up in Brooklyn and was like one of many kids and was always like the person on his block who had to kind of like defend everybody. So I think he grew up with this really, um, this sense of like being, you know, owning his Mexican identity was synonymous with like literally having to get into fights and things like that. So when he grew, you know, came out to California and married a white woman, um, I think for him, it was just this opportunity to kind of start over. And in some ways doing this series has been really fascinating because my parents have been listening and like, they've kind of started thinking about this stuff. I mean, my dad said to me, he's like, you know, I just, I never thought of myself as like one race or another, like we were just Americans. And I think growing up when he did in the fifties and sixties, like in some ways that was true, but it was also about assimilation. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Because obviously people who were growing up, you know, in, very Mexican households at that same time in the city, like he didn't identify with and they were not having the same experience. So I think that's all to say that like, yeah. And I, and I think because my family, like we're big entertainers and eaters and cookers and partiers, like a lot of the way I inherited my Norwegian heritage as well was, you know, through the kitchen, like learning how to kind of do the things that my grandparents would have. Um, but yeah, to me, like the idea of calling myself like multiracial or mixed race didn't really occur to me until way later. Um, I would always talk about my different parts, but I also had a lot of ambivalence and I think um, insecurity claiming my Mexican side because I was growing up in a border city without that connection to that heritage and with really like my Spanish is terrible. Like <laughs> my, my, my mom and my sister have the language skills where like, they just learn a language and it sticks and my dad and I struggle. So growing up on the border, like surrounded by people who were not only Mexican, but literally whose families sometimes still lived in Mexico. Like they were commuting up for school. I think it was just really hard for me to kind of claim that. Um, so yeah, I, I think for me, it's been a journey and, you know, I have a lot of skin privilege. I kind of feel like I'm the type of person. And I think Rahul, you can relate to this in some ways too, where like, I can always kind of like, people know I'm not from there, but they don't know where I'm from. Mm -hmm. So like when I've traveled in like Europe or Latin America, like they don't assume I'm American. They think I'm from like one country over whatever. So it's mm -hmm. the sense of like semi belonging, but not totally belonging. And I think it gave me just a lot of, um, kind of complicated internal feelings about what I was allowed to do and say and claim. Um, and, you know, I think some of it is, I still think is right on because like, we've talked about that privilege and like, you have to be aware of that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, I've just learned and your, my conversation with you and Dr. Jen on our podcast is like still helping me with this, that like, nobody else gets to decide what I am. I am, I am a whole human and I am, the parts of me that I want to claim, like they could change day to day and that's fine. And nobody gets to tell me otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I'm yeah, saying think, that, but I don't always believe it. <laughs> well, and I think that's a common theme. You know, you probably find this with the people you talk to too, Rahul. And, and we've talked about it with you, this question of, am I enough? Who gets to decide if I'm mm -hmm. enough? 
And I mean, I feel this as a South Asian uh, because people never guess that I'm Indian. They guess that I might be Italian or Armenian or something, yeah, maybe Mexican, but not Indian. And so, for example, when I wear Indian clothes, which I do to uh, celebrate holidays or to go to family functions, I'm always concerned that people are going to think that I'm like an exotifier or some, you know, appropriator, appropriator, right. <laughs> who's like into, you know, I don't know, following Kundalini yoga or something. And as a white person who's, you know, I think we also have a very particular challenge as South Asians because our culture has been adopted and exotified in so many ways by people mm -hmm. um, who don't share that ancestry. But one thing I've come away talking with several people for our series has been that wearing heritage garments is like a cultural hug. That's what Joami Ito, one of our interviewers, who's a fashion activist, told us that like it's okay for me to wear my grandmother's nose ring, which I am doing right now. Um, and, you know, her garments, because those are passed down to me as part of my heritage and my tradition. And I don't need anybody else to tell me that it's not okay to wear those things or that I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And I mean, on that point, actually, just on Sunday, I went to um, an Indian show related to um, a festival in India. It was very much like, like India, Indian, not even like an Indian American thing. And so everybody there was um, either um, like an adult who was an immigrant or there those um, adults as children. And so I was I, I was there um, just because um, it was it was promoted by my dance school and um, coming from as a second generation Indian. So my mom like immigrated but grew up here in the United States and also being mixed. I felt and not necessarily having direct ties to India in the same way that um, those other people did. I definitely felt those like typical, those, like the typical mixed feeling of like, I feel a little bit out of place here, even though I, I should feel okay, because like, this is an Indian space, and I should be able to feel comfortable. And I was wearing um, ethnic clothing, a, a kurta. And I remember walking in and I was thinking, I'm I'm glad I decided to to wear this because otherwise everybody would think that like what is this white man doing at this this show? Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was funny because there were very few um men there and all of the South Asian men there were like none of them were wearing any ethnic clothing, but I was the one who was the least obviously South Asian, but in the ethnic clothing, which I think I don't know, it's just it's I think it's I just took note of that because I was like, I, I think it just shows that as a mixed person, I've always felt this need to really like prove that I'm of that heritage when I'm in that space. Whereas somebody um, like those men, for example, nobody was going to question them when they walked in in typical American clothing right. because they, right. they have everything else about them. It just shouts right. South Asian. There's no yeah. gatekeeping. I mean, I remember yeah. when I first um, went to college and in the first week, I went right away to the South Asian Students Association because mm -hmm. um, I wanted to go in and be part of it. And they kind of looked at me. They gave me a look. It wasn't even verbal. There was just a look. And maybe it was my own insecurity. But I never went back. I never went back because I mm -hmm. felt like I just there wasn't 
a space for me there. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s and I actually met a group of other mixed South Asian women and we began to celebrate Diwali together and cook together that I finally felt like there was some community um, with other people and that I could really embrace my heritage. I feel like there's something about being with other folks who are mixed that just feels like home for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, and I think it is like, to your point, this is, but what is challenging about me mixed is that we all have universal and singular experiences, That's right? right? Yes. So yes. what, depending on what the mix is, who in your family was around, who they, you know, geographically where you grew up. So like, I always joke that nobody asks like a German person or even a Japanese person to speak, you know, their native tongue and then act like they're not German or Japanese because they can't speak German or Japanese, right? Where mm -hmm. it was like being a Latina in California, it felt like that was like a part of the gatekeeping in that case. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that, you know, we all are going to experience like, you know, different levels of racism or acceptance or just like that weird stuff that like members of a family will say who don't like get it yeah. uh, <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. so like we can all but we all nod and, and say yeah but like it's but but how that manifested is like gonna be different for everybody you know That's so true. it's like sometimes it's like it's very much like like and I think the more we talk about this and create this community is like the the safer we all feel but there is something that is still isolating about it like something we talked to you about which is like if you're the parents of mixed race kids, even if you're mixed yourself, like you don't know what their experience is like, because it's mm -hmm. different than yours. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity there, but it's also just like, yeah, it can be isolating. So unless you have siblings, but they might not have the same experience as you too. You're right. And, or they, and they might take their identity in a different way. I mean, my brother yeah. has an Indian name. His name is Akash. He's much darker skinned than I am. He goes to India. People don't question his authenticity in the same way that I do. Yet I'm the one who actually is super interested in Indian culture and like had a connection with my Indian grandparents and really mm -hmm. owns and claims the culture and he does it as much. So it's very much, uh, you know, an individual experience, even if you're part of the same family. Totally. I will say that um, one of the pivotal experiences in my life was going to the Japanese American National Museum where there was an exhibit up of mixed people by kip fullback who's a photographer oh i've, I've seen the hapa yeah, the, the hapa right? me project exactly and he also did a book called mixed and my partner and i my partner is actually mixed also he's japanese mexican we were going to the museum to get his family's records from incarceration from the incarceration camps in world war ii and we walked in and we saw these pictures of all of these mixed people on the wall and we both just burst into tears mm -hmm. and so I, you know, I think there is something about seeing ourselves reflected and celebrated that is very affirming. And we're starting to see that more in art and culture and visibility of celebrities and, you know, just having people who are mixed families on TV or in movies um, mm -hmm. as being part of the zeitgeist of the day. And I think that that for my kids who are mixed, mixed, super mixed because <laughs> they've got two mixed parents. Like, it's totally normal for them. And they've got all kinds of friends who have all different kinds of mixes. Um, and they they feel, I think, much more affirmed than I did growing up. And on so on this point about, as we were talking about earlier, um, like physical appearance and how that definitely impacts like racial identification, 
have either of you ever experienced resistance from maybe somebody of one of like a, a, a monoracial member of one of the communities that you identify with and you may have said oh yeah I have like this with this we have the same heritage like I also am this and they say no or ask you to oh, prove yeah. it I mean all the Has time I get happened? called a gringa are you kidding me yeah like yes mm-hmm. all the time uh I just <laughs> we just had a, a guy driving my family to the airport who <laughs> then launched into basically an entire di- diatribe in Spanish the entire way from San Francisco to Oakland airport about like the different skin tones of people in different <laughs> like countries it was wildly inappropriate but um yeah I mean I think for sure uh, like but again like this speaks to like what like how the culture sits within America right so like mm-hmm. Armenians would claim me if I am like 0.001% Armenian like they just they're <laughs> like yes my mm-hmm. people like and because <laughs> they live through you know we live through a genocide like we I think visibility is really important to Armenians because we're like a small people and like in terms of like how big the country is and there's been mm-hmm. this diaspora so there's like a real sense of like yes like bring that in like you're part of us whereas I think in California Mexicans who have you know basically um experience a ton of racism their entire lives and where you have a huge population are like way more skeptical and not everybody right but like mm-hmm. i think you know for sure like when i was out in the central valley this summer doing reporting like the abuelitas like in delano were like yeah yeah girl like you're mexican like okay good at like you know um so you know i think with that in a weird way it's like almost harder for me it's always been harder with my peers than like mm. with those broader like a random person I, I don't I think take as much stock in although I will say like yeah I'm always a little bit like yeah I'm Mexican so maybe like subconsciously I do kind of carry that with me mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean I think when I was younger I looked for that validation a lot I remember one time I was on the plane uh going to or coming back from visiting my grandparents in India and um there were a group of elder Siddhajis, you know, elder Sikh men on the yeah. on the plane sitting next to me. And they were like making snarky remarks about why I was wearing a kurta pajama. And I was learning Hindi at the time. And I was trying to explain like, I mean, my Hindi was really bad and it's still not great. But I was saying something like, you know, Adi Larki, which means like half, literally I was saying half girl. And they thought it was so funny. Um, that I was like trying to explain that I was half and like they were just it was really 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 painful I think I was about 19 or 20 at the time mm-hmm. and I spent this excruciatingly long plane ride with these men just like laughing at me and I realized now looking back I didn't need them to tell me whether I was enough or whether yeah. I was okay or whether it was okay like who are they they're total strangers it my grandfather mm-hmm. my my aunts and uncles like they show me love they're my family I know who I am yeah but I wish I could go back and tell that younger me that yeah well, and it also makes you think about situationally like they were flying back to a country where they were about to be discriminated against right, right like right right like the the power dynamics depending yes. on where you are are so different and so mm-hmm. they would probably that's probably what they were thinking right it was like i mean maybe they were just assholes but i don't know if you want to do it sorry but like that <laughs> 
never done that on radio. Um, but like, I don't know. I just think that the, those types of power dynamics like make the way we interact with people very different depending on the situation and the location and all those other things. Mm -hmm. And so, so shifting gears now to, so we've reflected on our, our mixed, various mixed experiences. And so could you talk about, and you mentioned this in your introduction, but why did you start um, your podcast radio show? And um, I guess, how has it and how have you engaged with the mixed community? I mean, part of where it came from, honestly, is that Marisa and I have both been journalists for a very long time, public radio journalists. And I think we really saw that this community is growing. You know, mm -hmm. I, the, the census said something like a 275% jump yep. from the last sentence of people uh, identifying as mixed race. And we both are journalists who cover California. We're home to the largest mixed race population in the United States. And I think it just really spoke to us um, both as mixed people ourselves, as parents of mixed kids. Um, and we're just seeing that there's so much more conversation about it. And I think we both just wanted to have the opportunity to chat with other mixed people about our experiences and not just talk about the struggles and how hard it is and how isolated we feel, but also what there is to celebrate and mm -hmm. what, what the joy is in belonging to multiple communities. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, we are coming into a time when there are a lot more mixed kids, people are a lot more conscientious about race and about identification, but I still feel like there's so much more to be unpacked about the mixed experience that we haven't excavated yet. And it's mm -hmm. just the beginning of an exciting conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as Sasha said, like, you know, it's funny when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected, I, I mean, it, they were her she was the, her brainchild but I, I i just sort of wrote on but sasha kind of approached me and was like hey would you like to do some some stories about this and as we started digging in we did do some of those stories that were more about her life but also the bay area and some really cool like kind of history here um but the one conversation that we put together between two mixed race folks was like the piece of that initial proposal that got so much reaction internally at KQED, both from folks who were mixed and I think a lot of uh, just journalists of color who were like, oh my gosh, like this is the compelling thing. Like no offense, but who cares about Kamala? She doesn't even want to <laughs> talk about being mixed. Um, let's talk to people who do, you know? And like, mm -hmm. it really, um, I think was like a very sort of visceral reaction from a wide range of people who just like, we're really excited about us having these conversations. And I think that's because in general in our society, we don't talk about race and we don't talk about it well when we do. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's one theme we were just talking about today, Sasha and I, like every person we've interviewed, including folks in your generation, Rahul, you ask them how their family talked about race and like 9.9 .9 times out of 10, they say we didn't, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, and I just want to say this and I, I don't, this isn't, perfectly line up with that question, but it's something I've thought about a lot, which is this question of like, you don't get to be told or, you know, what you are, or how you identify, like that goes both ways. My husband's dad is, you know, Irish American and his mom is Latina. And I've always felt like a little bit perturbed by like miffed by him not claiming more of his Latin heritage, but like, 
that's fine too right like he doesn't have to like he he because and for him i think there's a lot tied up in that like he did grow up closer to his mom's family but his dad passed away when he's in his 20s so for him honoring his dad is in part like honoring that part of identity and i think that's actually been really um just kind of life-changing for me like it's like it's sort of the opposite of what i've experienced not being able to claim my mexicanness but it's the same ultimately and i think that's part of this and 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 i'll say too like it still makes me a little nervous having these conversations because you never know when something you say could be Mm -hmm. taken you know like people think about race differently they have different sensitivities and it, it it's tough it's a hard thing to discuss without like offending people or just wandering into kind of dangerous territory mm-hmm. and and so from your conversations and especially because you have been interviewing and speaking with such a wide range of people with, from within the mixed community what advice or words of wisdom or just any any takeaways that like what what have you got what have you gone from those conversations that you'd want to share here you know i would say that the conversation we had with you and with dr jen dr jen noble was one that really really stuck with me especially mm-hmm. the question of not talking about ourselves in fractions i mean until we did this project i still would have said i'm half this and half that Mm -hmm. My children still say I'm a quarter Indian, I'm a quarter Mexican, I'm a quarter Japanese, et cetera. And you know what? We're reframing the way we have those conversations in our family. And we're talking about being whole and talking about being something and something instead of half or a fraction. So that's a really big takeaway for me. Um, I would also say that, you know, the idea that um, we can walk into a room and assess the situation and figure out when to use our privilege if we have lighter skin privilege or when to speak out on behalf of different communities depending on who's in the room that was really instructive for me and and not because I need somebody else to tell me if it's okay for me to be in a room or tell me who I am but that I can actually walk in with the confidence to be who I am, that I don't need to shrink away and say like, oh, I'm just going to kind of hang out here because I'm not really part of this group or part of that group. I don't really have a voice. Um, I also think just the last thing is like, I've spent a lot of time apologizing for who I am or who I'm not or that I'm not enough. And I'm done doing that. I think Mm -hmm. it's important to just say this is who I am and I'm going to celebrate it and I don't really care what other people think and I want my children to have that role modeling I don't want them to feel like they have to apologize if they're not Japanese enough or not Mexican enough or whatever they because what does that even mean what does it mean what does it mean right I mean they are fully wonderful unique human beings and I wish that I had that reflected to me when I was growing up it it wasn't that my parents didn't do a good job it's that there just wasn't enough reflection of mixedness in society when I was a kid I know um 100% the same like I feel like this series has given me permission to to just claim who I am and to not try to like yeah chop it up into parts or to be worried constantly that if I claim something or just yeah am who I am that that somebody is going to police that um 
I mean, it's the simplest thing, but the fractions conversation is like continues to blow my mind. Um, and I had to go back to my mom and be like, well, you really messed that one up, mom. Um, she took took it well, but yeah, I just think like, I, like in a way I've been surprised at how much this has kind of changed my thinking and just, I mean, really allowed me look like I am a pretty light-skinned person with very curly hair whose name is Marisa Lagos. So like, I don't even always know how, how people have read me. Um, but I feel like for me, I have, this has given me the, like the permission to claim myself as all of the things that I am, including a woman of color and like, just not make apologies for it. Mm-hmm. Say, like, yeah. I mean, we're so impressed with you and the work you're doing. We know you're coming for our jobs and we're actually excited about that because we need more young people having these conversations. And I do, I mean, it is super exciting to look around at least the region we live in and see just like, it's not a thing anymore in the same way it was even probably 10 years ago, you know, when you were younger, like there are just so many mixed race families. And I think- and, and an effort within that context to often celebrate the cultures in a more holistic way. Um, mm-hmm. So that to me gives me a lot of hope. And I, my final question is, and I ask this to everyone I interview and it often stumps people. So I, I, I'll try to give a little more of an explanation, but um, is there any way that you would describe the mixed community or your mixed experience or just an aspect of mixed race identity in a succinct way, like, for example, like five words or less, but it can be more than that, um, or it can be a metaphor. Some people have described it like how chameleon changes colors. We kind of take different colors in different spaces too, um, or a, a mosaic because it's so many different pieces put together. So you can uh, go ahead and, and, and take as long as you need to, to think about it. Oh man, I know it's hard. What was the thing that Guap said? Um, we interviewed the rapper Guap, and I was telling him how at one point my kids were going around saying, "My nose is Japanese, my ears are this," and I was saying, "No, no, it doesn't work like that. You're not <laughs> pieces of a puzzle." Mm-hmm. And he said, "It's not a puzzle; it's a whole picture, or something." What did mm-hmm. What did he say? Something yeah. like that. It was like. Um, you can't compartmentalize yourself in that way. Um, well, I think for me, because I do identify a lot of culture with like gathering and feeding people and eating, like to me, it's like something, something akin to a, a potluck or like a beautiful feast of just like different parts coming together to make something, mm-hmm. um, where everyone feels welcome. Wow. And delicious. That's- and delicious and delicious because you know you got to get that mix of different food in there to really mm-hmm. have like the full culinary experience mm. but also just because yeah like food and like t- to the point of you know joemi like the idea of a cultural hug and garments like i feel i feel like that often around sort of just like entertaining people and having and having people gather which is like this idea that that those are the spaces where we really you know, find common ground and figure out who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm. Agreed. Um, God, this is so hard. I'm trying yeah. to come up with one. Help me, you guys. Something like I was thinking about music because mm. for me, like 
growing up, it's always my dad like putting on ragas and like Hindi music. And then my mom's trying to like blast him out with her classical <laughs> Western music. Like oh. I was just thinking about something about like, I mean, it's almost like an orchestra. It's an ensemble. An yeah. ensemble. That's the word I'm looking mm. for. Yeah. Okay. So I'd say being mixed is like, it's like a musical ensemble, all different kinds of instruments. And sometimes some come to the front and some recede to the back, but they're always in harmony. Mm-hmm. That that's even better than mine. It's beautiful. <laughs> Both of yours are really uh, very profound. Um, well, thank you so much, and this is really a lovely conversation, and I'm glad that we could uh, flip it a bit this time yeah. since uh, the last time. And um, yeah, once again, thank you for the work that you do, and I'm glad that uh, that your radio show exists, and that also that. Um, you both are, are different mixes and have very different experiences and shared experiences, which I think is really important just to showcase the the diversity within um, the mix um, community. So I think that really is adds a lot of depth to um, something like a radio show. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank thanks you. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. It's so great to talk to you.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.